reckon you're late. When the council requests your presence, it is always of great importance. If I'm late for another scolding, does it really matter? Scolding? You're not a little boy anymore, but as long as you are my student, you will heed my wisdom. You're right. I'm not a little boy. And as far as your wisdom goes, you're no Qui-Gon Jinn. Master, forgive me, I, I didn't mean... I know. I miss him too. Not a day goes by that I don't look to his wisdom for guidance. I've done my best to pass his teaching to you. And in our time together, you have proven to me that you are capable of all he believed you would be. And now we must leave our roles as master and student. It is time we became brothers. Anakin Skywalker, by the right of the Council, by the will of the Force, dub the I do Jedi. Knight of the Republic. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 492, Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Anakin Skywalker and Captain Fordo. To my Obi-Wan Kenobi, we've got Carl LeClaire and Joe Hogan. What's up, Joe? Hey, guys. Guys, we finally did it. We finally made it, all three of us, together. <laughs> we did. Woohoo! Finally. After after uh, only having you on for, like, Shadows of the Empire uh, uh, talks with uh, you, you, me, and Greg, Jason was finally able to uh, come on to a show with you. Yeah, I know. It, it, we settled our differences. <laughs> You you finally released your restraining order on me. That's I don't right. understand why you had that in the first place, but uh, I mean, Jason, your hugs are just too warm. You know, uh, well, they're just uh, they just lull me into a false sense of security. I couldn't help I, it. I, I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do it any other way. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, y'all, we are super excited to be talking about the 2003 Clone Wars series by Gendy Tartakovsky. Um, I have been practicing that name forever because I always butcher it. Joe's always quick to to give me hell for it. Um, but, of course, we could not talk about the intro to the Clone Wars canon without bringing in Joe. Because, Joe, real quick, this was such a formative experience to not only your experience as a Star Wars fan, but more particularly your, your like, a, a, like, identity as a Star Wars artist. Uh, it, it came out at a time. I mean, obviously it, it was between, uh, attack of the clones and revenge of the Sith. And obviously back then I was a huge Star Wars fan and I had drawn my whole life, but wasn't really taking it super seriously. And high school rolled around for me, started in 2000 and trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? And then in 2003, uh, the first season of the micro series aired and I just, pointed at the tv and said that 
I want to do that. I want to make Star Wars cartoons. How do I do that? And uh, that was it. I went to, I decided I was going to try out art school and the rest is history for me. This, yeah. And, and, mm. and now you've been featured at Star Wars celebrations several years in a row. Yeah. So pretty crazy. That's pretty exciting. Not to it's mention being in the most recent issue of Star Wars Insider. That's right. So I guess it came out. Oh. Or did I tell you? Or did you, you told find me. Out or... I, yeah, you okay. told me. I don't actually know. if it, I I keep watching because I when it comes out, I want to buy it. <laughs> so. Well, I think it's, I'm it's I mean, it's the next one. I'm not sure when it actually uh, drops, but it's I think 215 issue 215. I think the normal cover is is Obi-Wan on the cover, if I remember correctly. OK. Yeah. And but that would have blown my mind as a kid. If, hey, someday you're going to be in Star Wars Insider. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. It came true, Joe. It yeah. came true, and, the and inter- all because you watched Gandhi Tartakovsky's Clone Wars micro series. That's it. That's all it took. <laughs> and not, jo- not an ounce of effort since then. I just I watched it, and <laughs> then it just happened. Yep. It just yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no work involved. Um, and the you said the interview was done by Mark Newbold, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Who's of course. One of the longest being. running uh, Star Wars fan creators ever. I don't even know if you can call him a fan creator because at this point, like he, he, I mean, he he's kind of a liaison for the insider. And mm-hmm. between his work with starting Jedi News, now Fanthatrax, Mark is just a delightful, delightful human. And we finally had him on the show just last year. So, um, just a just a great guy. And I just when you told me that you were going to be in it and that he was the one that got to interview, I was like, wow, like. One of my favorite people in the world, Joe Hogan, with one of the coolest Star Wars fans in the world, Mark Newbold. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, I wish we could have met in person because I know he was there uh, at Celebration, mm. but we ended up corresponding afterwards via email. Uh, mm. We didn't get to uh, run into each other. Yeah, he was he but was actually hosting one of the time. stages at uh, Celebration. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's really uh, he's really come into uh, uh uh, a place of prominence, I guess, if you will, um, even though in and, and I love it because he's one of the most humble people out there. Um, Mark would be the first person to be like, oh, I don't deserve this. But uh, yeah. I, that was me doing British because he's from England. But uh, he definitely does. He's just such a great guy. And as are you, Mr. Hogan. Oh, you sweetie pie. Flattery <laughs> everywhere. Um, so for all of you joining us, uh it's so funny. I, I made a post uh, earlier today on our social media about how we were going to cover this series. And man, there was a lot of love. People absolutely love the 2003 Clone Wars series that Tartakovsky did. Uh, and it's it's such a great series. Um, and I'm really looking forward to just kind of talking about some of the general things that each of us feel like stand out to us. Um, and uh, after the episode wraps, we have a, a really fun giveaway from joe joe's uh, most recent celebration art print we've got a copy for all y'all to participate in the giveaway so stick around for the end of the episode to find out how to do that um but uh joe was gracious enough to to donate one of his his artist prints um so excited to give you details on on how to win an amazing joe hogan art print which of course is featuring our beloved clones um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but bef- but before we get to that at the end of the episode uh, gentlemen, this particular series of Clone Wars, like you already uh, indicated, Joe, 
this came out even before Revenge of the Sith, which I think is just so awesome. Um, the series ran from November of 2003 to March of 2005, and it was the first Star Wars TV series since Ewoks, the Ewoks cartoon, which wrapped in 1986. Wild to think nearly 20 yeah. years without any sort of Star Wars television, man. Can you like, can you even think of that? Y'all like right now with Disney owning it, it's like there's a new Star Wars thing every other month, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> this was a 20 year gap essentially. Um, and it premiered on Cartoon Network as this series of shorts. The The first couple seasons were about two to three episode, um, two to three minute episodes with the final season giving us about 12 minute episodes. Um, and this was something I learned while I was just doing some quick reading before the show. I never knew that both seasons won primetime Emmy awards for outstanding animated programs, which just blew my mind. I, I just think that's so cool. I mean, I knew the show was really beloved by fans, but I didn't realize it was also so beloved by critics. Um, so just think that's really awesome. Yeah. It- it it was a fantastic show, and I remember for my birthday uh, in two thousand five, we were I was having a, you know friends over overnight, and then uh, the, that next day we were going to go all see Revenge of the Sith together. That was going to be my birthday. Um, so that night everybody came over. I made everybody sit through both seasons of of Clone Wars of the this micro series Clone Wars. So. Uh, that was sort of like our our build up to Revenge of the Sith, and it was pretty exciting because uh, you know obviously the last season of this ends right before Revenge of the Sith begins, so mm-hmm. um, it's obviously not canon anymore. But there's still a lot of stuff, inspiration that's drawn from it, and occasionally they still reference it in the new canon, so or at yeah. least ideas from it in the new canon, so. I think, and, and this is something we'll get into when we start jumping into the meat of the episode, because one of the things that stands out to me is this particular series, while like to your point, Jason, it's not technically canon anymore. To me, this entire series, is it's a myth. It's, it's, a, it's a meta myth, right? Like this is one way of remembering the Clone Wars. Um, so if you wanted to kind of distinguish between the two, between the Clone Wars, which started in 2008 and Clone Wars... I would say the Clone Wars is kind of this historical look at the events of of the Clone Wars. Clone Wars, the Tartakovsky entry, is more of this artistic, mythological telling of the Clone Wars. Um, So I feel like they can both be true at the same time, um, but distinctly different. It's just really cool different ways of storytelling. Um, But before we get into some of the meat of those details, uh, Joe, when we were watching this the other day together, and, and Jason... You and I watched this series in its entirety, I think twice through when I was out in Phoenix hanging out with you. We had it on in the background quite a bit while we were playing that Clone Wars uh, board game. And yes. uh, and we knew we knew a while back we had already asked Joe if he'd want to come on and do a Clone Wars type episode with us. And originally it was going to be something dedicated to the, you know, the 2008 newer version. But then I was <laughs> after we watched all this. I was like, Jason, what if we asked Joe to do the Tartakovsky? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, Joe will freaking love that because it's his it's oh, yeah. kind of his, his pride and joy of Star Wars. Um, but Joe, when you and I were watching it the other day, you pointed out because I, I did not watch this when it actually originally aired. I The first time I watched it was when they came out with the DVDs of it. But you mentioned to me how how maddening it was because you only got one of these a week, right? 
Oh, it was agonizing. <laughs> and it was, I think it was 8 p.m. every day for two weeks, right? Because there were 10 episodes per season. And, oh, I'm hearing an echo on myself. I don't know if you guys are hearing uh, We don't, sorry, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, as long as you guys aren't picking it up, that's okay. Um, yeah, so you get three minutes per day for two weeks. And it's like, oh, what happens next? Yeah. Ah, and then you got to wait well, the weekend for another three minutes in the middle of it. And then it was like another almost a year for the second half of season one or season two, whatever they called it at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it ended. Uh, the first season ended with Anakin and Asajj zooming at each other right. in space, shooting at each other. Um, and that was it. We had to yeah. wait a year to figure out how that fight was going to end up. And in total, uh, and the, it was like a half hour, I think, all said and done, right? And maybe a little bit more. Right. Yeah, you could either catch it on, on Cartoon Network or it was on StarWars.com. Right. Oh, they put um, it on StarWars.com. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were like little quick time videos. <laughs> like oh. You could barely see what was going on. But yeah. I, I actually taped every episode on VHS. So I have that Love somewhere. It. Of Love the it. Season. Um. Boy, 2003 internet, if you were watching that as a QuickTime video, you could probably let it start loading and then walk away and do something for an oh, hour man. and come back and watch real. the three-minute clip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's what I did. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, but, yeah. And then, of course, they ended, you know, the second season, the second year with the Grievous mm. introduction. Mm. And so we had to wait a whole other year with Grievous hovering there over Kiari Mundi going, oh, God, what's going to happen? Um, so yeah, that was, that was just a delight and that's a, uh, to deal with. And Jason, what a cool, like, like detail to point out, because again, worth noting this series wrapped before Revenge of the Sith hit theaters. So something like that, a cliffhanger, like, like we, you didn't know Katie Mundy was in Revenge of the Sith cause it wasn't out yet. So he could have been killed, um, which is just so rad to think about now, like looking back the, the tension that they build up for things like that. And the fact that they, you know, uh, introduced General Grievous to us through this series, you mm. know, the, his design was not finalized when they stuck him in the show. So uh, that's why that's why he looks a little bit different, especially at the end of of the first season, if you will, um, than than what he ultimately looked like in Revenge of the Sith. So, uh, yeah. OK, pretty, so pretty epic, though. Well, I'm yeah, going to uh, oh, go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Joe. I mean, I was just going to say that his whole, um, his personality, his fighting style, all of that stuff, when they originally sent over the designs to Gendy's team and said, hey, we want to introduce this character, but just, he fights unconventionally. That was all all they really had to go on. They didn't have a voice, they didn't have a personality, they just said, you know, he's this Jedi-killing, unstoppable monster. Run with that. And so that's (laughs) why chapter, I think it was 20? Yeah, of uh, of of the show just had this unstoppable, crazy monster droid thing uh, fighting on his hands and feet and f- twisting and flipping and doing all this crazy stuff. Um, and then by the end of the series, they had to kind of course correct that. Like they gave him the cough that that uh, he has in the movie. They they made him a little bit like less uh risk takey you can see he wasn't as like bold with his fighting strategy as he was in the original less of a ninja uh right so (laughs) right well 
You know, I'm glad we're talking about him because I'm going to dive into that. That's the first thing that stands out to me about about this particular Clone Wars series is Grievous. I don't really give a a rat's butt about Grievous, specifically in Revenge of the Sith. He's fine in the Clone Wars. Like, he's all right. Um, But this incarnation is definitely my favorite. And I saw a few other folks when I posted about this on Twitter this morning who also mentioned specifically how much they love this incarnation of Grievous. Um, and, and I love him so much because he is what he's supposed to be in Revenge of the Sith, which is intimidating, this kind of, this terrifying force. Um, I, Revenge of the Sith just makes him into a coward, and therefore he's really not intimidating at all. Um, but when you watch him, specifically in his introduction scene there on uh, Harponi, or Harponi, is that how you say the planet? Hypori. Hypori. Um, when he shows up there and we get, you know, we see the Jedi kind of retreating and, and you know, we see the animation of the sweat coming down, you know, Kiri Mundi's face, the way that some of the Jedis are quivering in fear. We've got the uh, Jedi that looks like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo that goes running out and immediately gets killed. Um, <laughs> Grievous is just brutal as all get out in this series. I mean, he tears through Jedi. He tears through clones. Um, and he, he actually feels intimidating and his fighting style is so brutal. Um, thinking of the, you know, the scene when he shows up to try to capture Palpatine and he takes out all these clones and he's smacking them around. He's smashing their helmets as he kicks them in the face. Like it's so brutal and he's just relentless in his pursuit of Palpatine and, Actually, when I was rewatching it just the other day, that kind of made me think of the original Terminator movie. Uh, there's there's that scene where uh, uh, Sarah Connor is hiding in the car with Kyle Reese and she's like, well, you know, like, what if we just do this? And he's like, you don't understand. Terminators don't stop. He has one thing in mind. Get you and kill you. That's it. He doesn't care about anything else. That's what he's programmed to do. That's what Grievous feels like in this particular series. He feels like he has one objective here. Capture Palpatine, kill everything in the way. And he just feels relentless. And that makes him terrifying, in my opinion. I love Grievous in this series. Yeah, it's it's one of the things I, I highlighted, too. Because it was, you know, while there were definitely really cool stuff that happened in, you know, the the previous episodes and the fight between Anakin and Asajj was very very well done. This moment at the end of of the first season in chapter 20 uh really elevated the whole show to another level. Like it it took everything from fun action pack, you know, clone wars stuff to like oh god this is real. Like this could actually be happening, you know, in, in this galaxy far, far away. So, uh, I think, you know, that whole episode and then the, the conclusion of it, uh, is really kind of what made everyone realize, Oh yeah, we can do an actual like full TV series, like half hour time slot episodes out of this show. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, but yeah, that, that, that sequence there with him mowing through Jedi, not, and not even just like Padawans, but even some masters and stuff is it's relentless. It's terrifying. And, you know, 
you're just glad the clones showed up at the end to <laughs> rescue those who they could. So worth mentioning to, to a point you made kind of earlier, Jason, that while these are technically legends now, uh, Mike Chen in his novel Brotherhood specifically references Kiyadi Mundi's first duel against Grievous on Hypore. So yep. uh, he recanonized it in a way. So well, which is I awesome. like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so in a canon novel, this battle is specifically talked about. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Grievous is the thing I really wanted to highlight first. Um, do you, do you mind if I, uh, jump in on that? Yeah, scene no, a please. Little bit? please. Absolutely. Please, please man. Do. There is something other than the amazing stuff that you both, uh, touched on. There is something very, very, very special, uh, that I remember from that scene and it was the feeling that, you know, maybe we take for granted now because we're so used to seeing, you know, Ahsoka was a Clone Wars character and now she's in live action. And Bo-Katan was a Clone Wars character and now she's live action. But that was, I in in my memory, for, for me, in my experience, the first time that I ever saw characters in something from something else that I knew them from. So I'm probably not articulating that correctly, but... Uh, so the big hairy Jedi Kruk, he yes. is the Jedi who was from the Star Wars Republic comics. Mm. And he had a voice. And Shock T was in Attack of the Clones, which we know. She also had a voice that we hadn't heard before. So that was really cool. And then Ayla Sakura, who started as a comic character, who was in Attack of the Clones, was also in the cartoon. So these are all characters that, you know, I followed their stories separately and it was cool that they were in the movie, but now they're in this cartoon and now they're talking. And it's and it really felt like this really big instead of just like, oh, the movies are the movies, the comics are the comics. And, you know, it, you know, you always see people showing up in the comics, but not so much in the movies. But now here's the show that's incorporating these characters, not just from the films, but from the comics, too. And it just made it feel a lot more you know, like this multimedia event is more cohesive and it's telling a larger story. And I know a lot of people feel like cameos make the universe feel small, but I think when it happens uh, sparingly and it's done really well like this, like this was a really big moment. Like this is the introduction of Grievous and these, these characters are here for this big moment. And Grievous is just like kicking their butts. It's to show just how big of a threat Grievous is supposed to be. And it elevated that tension. And I was afraid for these. Like, you know, Carl, you mentioned that we don't know what's going to happen to Kiari Mundi. But I was just as afraid for Shakti and Ayla as I was for, for the others. Kruk dies in that scene. He doesn't survive. <laughs> they they leave him behind. They only rescue um, Kiari, Ayla, and Shakti. And everybody yeah. else is, is just, you know, Grievous chop meat, essentially. So yeah. it was it was I remember just feeling that sense of, wow, this is so huge that they're doing things like this. It's so cool to see these characters as cartoons and, you know, these characters that I already loved from these other mediums. So that was real. That's I mean, other than Fordo showing up and kicking butt uh, when the Jedi couldn't just saying um, <laughs> that was that was, I think, the big moment for me just to see them kind of realized in that. And then, Jason, I'm with you that. That wait for the continuation of that scene was was brutal. Waiting a year for that to come back. Oh, that was that was the worst wait of this whole yeah. thing. You know, yeah. by far, it, it left it on such a cliffhanger, and it it had 
the intensity and the tension of that whole scene, that whole sequence there was so ramped up and so hyped that you couldn't help but be on the edge of your seat watching it. Like it had sucked you in. I remember watching, I watched, this is one I did not watch live on Cartoon Network. I had to watch it on StarWars.com. So I'm literally like standing up like inches away from the computer screen watching this thing uh, because not only because it's small, um, but, (laughs) but because I'm just drawn in and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then they leave it on the stupid cliffhanger. And I remember screaming, no, yeah, like it was, it was not good. It was not good. (laughs) But yeah, that was, that was uh, something on my list too, Carl. So I'm glad you brought it up because that, it, the whole introduction of Grievous in this series is definitely one of the highlights of the whole series in general. Um, and it's really great to kind of see the, you know, the trust that Lucasfilm had in this product, you know, to say, hey, yeah, we're going to introduce the baddie for our next movie in the cartoon. So, um, you know. Whether or not you you think that they they match up well or not is you know besides the point uh, in that regard. But yeah, it, it's pretty freaking awesome. Really is it? Really is. Um, well, I think it's consensual. We all agree. Grievous, fantastic in Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but I'm really curious for you, Joe. What's one of the what's one of the f- big things that really stands out for you for this series? Oh man, where to even start with this? Um, <laughs> you, right, you have my, to pick favorites, Joe. Okay. You can't just say everything. All right, all oh. right, I'll try. Um, <laughs> I, I think one of the highlights for me, really, is the fact that you know there's always a passage of time between the films, but this was the first time we got to see kind of on the screen what an opening crawl of a film looks like. So we, Mm. we got the entire, you know, the battle of Coruscant, which it was, it didn't disappoint. Like, even if you watch revenge of the Sith and then you went back and watched clone wars for the first time, that battle of Coruscant was not disappointing. It was a space battle. It was a ground battle. There were Jedi, there's clones. There's a, a grievous kidnapping Palpatine. There's like all these like plots going on and and the action is just like a high voltage the whole time. You're worried the whole time. Really the slowest part of those episodes was when it would cut away from Coruscant to Anakin's like pseudo second Jedi trial that he was going through. His, his little walkabout his, stuff. His spirit quest. Yeah. Um, which yeah. was cool. It was really good, but it was definitely slower paced and it was, you know, necessary because the stuff that was going on Coruscant was so fast. You know, you needed those those quiet moments to just kind of process a little bit. But right. just just to see the opening crawl it, uh, just animated in like this radically different style. And yet if you watch them one into the other, it still feels like. Star Wars and the story makes sense and it continues. It's really cool. It's like a really fun, uh, you know, it's something that only I feel the Siege of Mandalore has been able to kind of replicate since this did it first. Um, But, and I also love that even though there's like little contradictions, uh, Labyrinth of Evil also Mm. has very similar parallels to the things that happened in the battle of Coruscant. So even though there are like little things here and there that don't match up, it's still cool to, 
to it even does that same kind of thing I was gushing about before where things are connecting through different mediums and it just feels like this bigger bigger grander explosive grandiose story yeah so yeah I mean right one of the things people lauded about Rogue One is kind of that same point Joe right is oh true yeah I right that, that yeah that it, it fleshed out this opening crawl from a new hope um, but yeah, I think people are forgetting that this did it first, <laughs> you know? Um, and <laughs> Look, I honestly completely forgot about Rogue One. You're absolutely yeah. right. Like, yeah. Rogue One did it so well. And I feel bad that I forgot Rogue One. No, Sorry, that's... Rogue One fans. I'm one of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fair. I, and, um, but you're right. Cause it's, and it's so cool that it is this different medium. Um, and I, I love that you referenced the Labyrinth of Evil novel by, uh, I think that's James Luceno. And and that came out shortly before Revenge of the Sith. So it was probably newer than this particular TV series. And you do have similar but some subtle differences in the capture of Palpatine, for instance. Um, I believe in Labyrinth of Evil, Mace Windu briefly duels Grievous. I mean, it's very, very brief. Um, but uh, in the TV series... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know it's in one or the other, but we learn where he gets the cough, right? Because we see Mace Windu kind that, of do that's a quick... In, that's that's in, here. That, yeah, that's, that's in the TV that's series. The that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, when... And they don't actually lock blades, right, in the TV show. Um, no. Yeah, it's kind of just, just too like, late. Right. Yeah. Force crush. And he force you crushes know, his, like, torso. Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's where yeah. we learn that he gets the, uh, the, the coughing from. Um, right. But yeah, like... Um, and, and if, well, if you don't mind, Joe, I'm going to kind of segue that into one of the points that I also wanted to mention. It kind of insinuated, insinuated this, uh, a little bit earlier with you, Jason. Uh, I like that this series feels like a myth. These stories are so grandiose. They're so almost silly in their ridiculous use of the force, right? We have Mace Windu, like machine gun fisting droids in the chest and uh, Yoda force pushing like a battalion force pushing like uh, droid landers back into their cruisers, right? It's, it's this really ridiculous overpower of the force. But to me, I think it works really well. One, because it's animation. And secondly, Mm -hmm. I imagine these are the stories that commoners around the galaxy are sitting around their campfires, sitting in the cantinas. These are the stories they're telling, right? They're kind of these really mythical, larger than life stories. And that's really what this series does. Um, In in, in an interesting way, the Clone Wars, right? The, 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 The later series especially as the series goes on, it starts to call into question the the Jedi in the galaxy, right? Like people are really wary of them. They see them as these people who who break their promise to keep peace. But we don't get that in Clone Wars. We get these are the heroes of the galaxy and these are the stories that people are telling that are like, yeah, these are our superheroes, right? And, and thinking of that, that scene of uh, when Anakin and Obi-Wan um, sneak into the droid base, you know, after they've been laying siege for weeks and they quickly take it out and they're walking into the foreground, just kind of joking and laughing. It's like, yeah, these are right. These are the legendary Jedi that the galaxy lauds. So I think that's just an interesting thing worth noting too, is this kind of celebrates the heroism of the Jedi. Whereas the clone wars does do that. And also calls into question some of their, you know, they're standing in the galaxy. But this one is more of a mythical story of these very grandiose superheroes. 
And to further that point, the the backstory that they developed for the the kid on Dantooine, mm. where Mace Windu does his super epic, you know, single handed takedown of a droid army. Uh, that kid, uh, the backstory that they end up develop, developing for him is that he becomes an artist and becomes like an underground, uh, you know, artist that you know does pro Jedi propaganda art during the dark times. Um, you know, kind of keeping the myth and the legend of the Jedi alive, you know, while the empire is on the ascendancy. So uh, it's, it's funny that you, that you point that out because they're almost specifically saying, yeah, with this character, that's we're this is exactly what we're doing. Like, you know, this, this kid watched this battle and, oh my gosh, you know, the Jedi just fist pump punched, all the super battle droids. Maybe that happened. Maybe that didn't. But that's the story he's going to tell. So, yeah. you know. Um, Leave it to an artist to exaggerate everything. <laughs> am I right, guys? <laughs> you have worst. no idea what that's worst. about, do you, Joe? <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is a great little moment. Like, um, where, and then he hands Mace Windu a little, like his little jug of water and, you know, he's so elated when Mace hands it back. I mean, you can imagine he probably takes that home and he's like, I'm never washing this. Right. Like, it's like when we meet a famous person, if they like shake our hand, it's like, I'll never wash my hand again. Um, right. This this little boy. These are the stories he's going back to his his village and telling. Right. Uh, machine yeah. gun, uh, machine gun fist window. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. You're going to be on a list for you keep saying machine gun fisting. Like, <laughs> you better be careful with that phrase, Carl. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, goodness. Well, um, well I'll take us away from, from that <laughs> phrase. Um, and we're going to go to force bubble fisto. Um, yeah. I like where <laughs> this is going. <laughs> oh, man. But one of my favorite parts of this whole series is of course the Kit Fisto episode, which this shouldn't come as any, any surprise to anybody who knows uh, me uh, because Kit Fisto is one of my favorite Jedi period. So uh, yeah, just the fact that we get this, this great, you know, unique kind of episode with Kit Fisto where it's underwater uh, and, and he helps the clones take down all these, you know, the, the Quarren and their drawered army and everything. And I love the fact that it's basically, you know, for the most part, other than, you know, Yoda giving Kit Fisto the mission at the beginning of the episode, there's no dialogue in the entire episode other than Yoda. Um, so, which is very similar to the Mace Windu stuff, um, by the way. But, um, yeah, I, I've always loved it. The The imagery was always great. Uh, they made action figures, you know, inspired by this for Kit Fisto. And then, of course, this episode inspired a whole arc in the actual series of, you know, the, the, the later series of Clone Wars. I won't say actual. Yeah, the, the careful, later, Jason. You know, full we series. We got Joe here. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and, and Kit Fisto's outfit in there is almost identical to what was in the Gendy series. So... His yeah, they, yeah, right. You know, he's got he's got some swim trunks, uh, and that's about it. So, um, but yeah, it's it was just such a, a fun way because obviously I was I was hoping to have something featuring Kit Fisto, and then they made such an, an epic looking episode for him, uh, 
in this series and uh, I love it. So it's still it's still high on my list of highlights for for this whole series. Yeah, Jason, uh something you pointed out is is something I, I need to expand on a little bit. It's just because man, Genny Tartakovsky is such a master of the principle show don't tell. Mm. Let the animation tell the story. And you know, there are so many episodes, so many chapters in this series where there's just no dialogue. There's, like you said, uh, the Dantooine arc. I mean, there's the droids that are talking to each other, but it's really just like one or two little throwaway lines here and there. Um, Kid Fisto, the ARC Trooper one, um, Yoda when he's out d- trying to find uh, uh, Luminara and Barris on Ilum, he's just out <laughs> fighting droids. Uh, there's just like, there's so many of them because Gendi just knows the value of treating the audience with intelligence that they're going to be able to figure it out without being, you know, buried in exposition because it's just not necessary. And when you only have three minutes to tell a story or at least a little fraction of the story, it needs to count. You can't waste it by just telling everyone, oh, here's what we're going to do and then do it. You don't have time to do that. And, you know, in every show that Gendy does, um, especially now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the show Primal, uh, it's a caveman and a dinosaur. There's literally no verbal dialogue in that show at all because neither one of them can talk. It's just grunting and roaring. And I've seen clips of that show. I didn't realize that was him, but now that makes so much sense. Oh, it's fantastic, so, dude. You got to yeah. check it out when you, when you find time. Uh, Samurai Jack obviously was a lot. I mean, you know, there's a little bit more dialogue, but a lot of those episodes, same thing, 21-minute episode, no dialogue for a lot of those episodes. And it's just because he he is a master class at that principle. And I love that that shines through in this, even though it's significantly shorter than his his other work. He still found ways to uh, make that work and to and to trust the audience to just, you know, figure it out what's going on. Mm, yeah. And, you know, Shakti's fight with the the droids, you know, protecting the Chancellor is mm-hmm. also another example of that, you, you know, she's there by herself. And it's a whole extended sequence, which I love. But, um, you know, there's no dialogue. So, but anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, and it. right. And that's such a big that's such a big uh, uh, particularity of this series is that it is so much uh, driven by the action, driven by the visuals there's not a tremendous amount of dialogue in the entire series. Um, and it really, it really is this big tone poem. Um, I think uh, Tales of the Jedi kind of mimicked that in a certain way. Um, there's, there's less dialogue and more, more room for the animation to do the storytelling. Um, yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a very interesting way to choose to tell a story. And I think it's, kind of neat because it's the story of a clone war you know uh what do you get in a war you get a lot of action so let's just give folks action um and that gives me like rises a question for me joe because i know how much you love fordo um who's only in this series correct um yeah he's not in really anything else right um and and I know how much you love Fordo and I'm sure you want to talk about him. So I just want to open that door now, <laughs> but you know, what, what is it about that particular clone trooper um, and his particular stories within this series that really excited you and continue to excite you? 
So, I mean, really, remember the time that it was, right? It was 2002. Really, the only unique clones we had were commanders and uh, uh, captains that we saw in the film, right? There were lieutenants and, and uh, I think, sergeants also, but we didn't really get a good look at them. They weren't really in any of the main shots. But as far as we knew, there were three different types of clone troopers, five if we're being generous at the time. And... You know, shortly after the film came out, they uh, released a Star Wars Republic comic and introduced the concept of these ARC Troopers. And the ARC Troopers are basically the same type of clone trooper, only the difference is there were no behavior modifications. And they were dressed kind of looking like Sand Troopers, but with these like little battle laser-proof skirts also. So they had the pauldron. Yes. So I was like, oh, cool. There are these decked out clones that kind of look like sand troopers. And they have these like weird kilts or something, these <laughs> battle kilts or something. That's awesome. So first off, it was really the design that I really liked. And I liked that they had the, the like the Boba Fett viewfinder antenna on the helmet too. It was like, wow, these guys look all decked out. They have all this crazy gear. And I think there was a, um, trying to remember what the exact phrasing was. But at the time when they were trying to like explain the concept of what an art trooper was, they said, okay, when you need to get a job done, you can send a battalion of a thousand troopers, you can send a squad of four clone commandos, or you can send one ARC trooper. So I was like, yeah, ARC troopers are awesome. <laughs> All right, let's go. And then and correct correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but the part of the lore around them is that they were supposed to have been like hand trained by Django. Yes, they too? they received okay. Direct training from Django himself, which I think the lore was that Django trained other people who also trained the clones and it just kind of like pyramided out. But the Arc Troopers, yes, you're right, Jason. They had that specific one-on-one training with Django. So they these guys were supposedly the best of the best. And to actually see one in action, well, not more not one, but like the boss one in action with his Arc Troopers that are under him and the action that he just, every time he was on screen, he was doing something cool. So it was impossible to not love that clone. And then as soon as later on, they started, you know, making it more that, you know, there are other clones. They all have different personality personalities. As much as I love all those other clones, obviously, you know, you mentioned that print that I did for Celebration. There were 66 clones on that thing. I love my clone troopers other than Fordo. But Fordo left that imprint that he was the first clone to stand out for me that was just, okay, he's my guy. That's it. And just the fact that every every time, you know, I do a viewing of that, a lot of times I'll just kind of have it on in the background and be working. But anytime I know there's, like, a good Fordo scene coming up, I stop what I'm doing and I'm watching it. <laughs> like, it's, 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 I can't not. I can't resist it. That's that's totally fair. Uh, yeah, he's he's pretty cool. He's pretty cool. And I, you know... I feel like, you know, Rex kind of takes the place of Fordo in the main series, mm. you know, the but, you know, Fordo's still still got a good a good following and I think you're you're probably like the president of the Fordo fan club at this <laughs> point, so um you know, more more Fordo for for Joe, please. I uh, I I do my best. I mean, and and it's something that you know, I'm not trying to be sneaky or anything, but for Star Wars Celebration, you know, you're allowed to kind of uh, submit your own concepts. And I feel like every year 
I sit down and say, okay, how can I sneak Fordo into a print this year, <laughs> get away with it, and make it, like, <laughs> official and everything. So I do everything I can to get more, fo- you know, it's just a print every few years, but, like, I'm trying to keep them alive, man. I'm trying to keep them relevant as best I can in, in, the, in the ways that I can. <laughs> yeah. they're like the uh, navy seals of star wars <laughs> yeah well and and what's cool is right like this series which is incredibly action driven dialogue light is it is the first thing that really introduced the fact that clones have some sense of individuality that there is this distinction among them and of course the clone wars series later on is going to really build that out um and continues the the trope of arc troopers being the elite among the elite. Um, But this series really, I mean, I would say the majority of the series still is highlighting our Jedi characters, right? It's really an an Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Mace heavy show with some other Jedi sprinkled in and clones also sprinkled in. But it makes it very clear that these clones are integrally connected to the Jedi in this war. Um and and this is the first series to really show that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, couldn't ask for a better representation than Fordo and his squad and all their hand signals. Um, oh, dude, everyone the hand fell, signals were so cool. <laughs> everyone fell in love with those. I remember the <laughs> hype for those hands back in the day. Like, it was it was hardcore. Like, there was a ton of hype for the clones and their hand signals. Mm-hmm. Um so, but yeah, the, I always thought it was funny. I, I never got into it as much as, you know, people like Joe did, but it, it was always fun to watch people get very excited about them. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, stuff like that is so, it, it's also so real world in a way. I mean, you know, uh, like elite soldiers that, you know, like Navy SEALs, for instance, and, and folks like that, like their primary mode of communication when in hostile territory is is hand signals, body language, right? It's not speaking, right? You don't want to get heard. Um, so it's cool that they kind of translated that into, you know, making these troopers feel uh, f- feel more elite, feel more um, grounded in a way. Um, yeah. I love that you just Definitely. used the phrase hand signals and body language, which was directly from Independence Day when Jeff Goldblum is trying to assess how <laughs> the aliens communicate with each other, and that's the exact <laughs> phrasing that he uses. <laughs> Don't think that that went under the radar because it didn't. <laughs> oh, I was trying to send you a signal from from the moon. <laughs> Should have used your body language. Yeah. Oh, um, man. And, I, and now, of I, course, you guys are saying body language all the time. And I'm just thinking Ursula and talking about body language. So from little, I'm sorry. I don't that know. That just popped into my know, head. Who's Ursula? That's Little Mermaid. Oh, okay. Um, I'm no, you're good. That's Disney. Property Jason, too. I caught it, man. I know I, what you're talking about. I, I sure. <laughs> I'm just as mortified now. Um, <laughs> Clone Wars also gave us some pretty awesome takes. I mean, we've talked about Grievous, right, and and how intimidating they turn Grievous. They did a great job with Asajj as well, and I and I definitely want to mm. jump into her here in a moment. But before we do, it's worth mentioning Dirge, a very unique 
Star Wars villain, who, by the way, has been reintroduced into canon. Uh, I mm-hmm. believe he's in one of the Dr. Afra comics. I, d- I don't keep up with Star Wars comics because there's just way too damn many. Um, but uh, I have friends that are. And uh, I remember one of them mentioning that Dirge was back. Uh, what an interesting villain. Um, his design is awesome. It, I think when he turns into like a weird T-1000 is a little silly. But again, this it tracks with this series. I think it works here. Uh, what do you what do you two think about Dirge? I think his his initial design, like in the armor and everything, is pretty cool looking. Uh, but when he goes all Akira on on everybody and just goes, you know, it's all slimy and gross. I, I can't know. Like he's the one that grosses me out. Uh, like he he's always been like kind of eh, I'm not sure about him because of all that. Um, he was also pretty prevalent in the the uh, comics back back in this time period as well. And I just never got into him. Um, I mean, you know, I loved his stuff with the, you know, the jousting speeder bikes and everything. Uh, but like the, the, the fact that he just kind of keeps, you know, gluing himself and oozing back together was a bit much for me. And I always wondered how that was supposed to work when the lightsaber was supposed to cauterize all that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, that's, neither here nor there um so yeah he's a he's an interesting one but never never a character i fully latched on to i was just like eh, he's there uh i'd rather watch asajj or grievous or dooku so yeah well uh what about you joe what what's your take on dirge i am somewhere in the middle between uh the two of you i i always did feel like he was kind of out of every every villain that was kind of running around during that time period in the comics and in this show, he always felt like the weakest one to me. Um, and I understand like three minute episodes, you really can't exactly, you know, give the guy a soliloquy to, to <laughs> go that deep into his character. I, I found it interesting that in the comics, he really like couldn't die. Like, I think they, I think Anakin like ejected him into a sun or something to kill him. Cause like every yes. time they killed him, he just kept coming back because his body just mushed back together like the blob. Which, um, yeah, he's I, he has to kill him like Alien, right? The first Alien movie. Um, yeah, you just can't you can't get rid of him until you shoot him into the sun. Which I mean is I I appreciate that since it's animation, choosing to include him is it made sense just because he's such a weird villain that was kind of perfect for animation that he could do all that stuff. Um, because first he made for a really good threat against uh, standard clone troopers, right? Then he made for a threat against Obi-Wan because here's this dude who's got these, like, uh, laser shield things on his wrist, which also continued into canon, which I'm very happy about. Um, we see Bo-Katan has those later on mm-hmm. in, uh, in the 2008 series. Um and then, you know, Obi-Wan defeats him, but then he's not gone, and we see his, you know, his final form, and even at the end of that, it's like, oh, I'm not done. Uh, but I'm glad that's all we got from him in uh, <laughs> in the micro-series. That was enough dirge for me. Uh, but it was cool. What he was there for was cool. But they also, I feel bad for anyone who watched that and didn't read the comics. They never really got any kind of... Um, resolution yeah resolution clarification of what he was why he could do the things that he did so there was really no 
that maybe would have been one instance of exposition that should have been there. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's fine. I don't, I don't hate him. I don't love him. Uh, I, I do like that he's back in new canon just because every little acknowledgement we can get for the micro series is, is okay in my book though. <laughs> he, he's a character I could have uh, lived without coming back in the canon, but I don't <laughs> mind that, that he's there, but he's definitely, he wouldn't have been on the list of characters I would have brought back. I'll right. just put it out. I'll just say right. that. And I'm, so, not sh- um, I'm not sure if in the comic he still is that like morphine particular thing. I just know. Okay. And and get rid of that. And I think Dirge is awesome. Like I, I thought that was a bit far-fetched and silly. Again, I think it tracks fine in, a, in an animated series like this. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But his look is awesome. Uh, I think he looks really cool. Um, and and – yeah, go ahead. Jason. I think to some extent they kind of replaced him with Cad Bane in hmm. the the 2008 series, hmm. um, which I am 100% in favor of. Um, but uh, just because he was, in, especially in the comics, he was sort of like this bounty hunter that they kept hiring to lead the droids. Like he wasn't like a, technically a separatist. He just was like on permanent retainer for them. Like he was a bounty hunter that was on permanent retainer for them. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting arrangement and I always yeah, but uh yeah, he's he, he worked fine for the show. Um I'll say my least favorite sequence is when he's just the blob against Obi-Wan uh in this the micro series. Like <laughs> uh, I watched Akira uh in college for a class and I was like, "Oh, that's where they got it from and I'm okay never ever seeing that stuff again." Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. I think, like I said, it works fine in animation, but, um, I can take him or leave him. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, I, I do enjoy, like you both, in, you know, mentioned his, his jousting scene, which is really cool. Yeah. Mainly because Joe, you mentioned this when we were watching the other day, that when you first watched it, you didn't have any idea who that clone trooper was leading the pack. Man, oh, that hyped me so hard <laughs> when when that helmet got knocked off, and it was Obi Wan because they they released a lot of um, like promo posters. They really didn't have too many teaser trailers. Like maybe there was like a Cartoon Network commercial, but there wasn't like a full length trailer just because there's so sh- there's only even thirty minutes of animation the first time. They uh, released episodes. So they kept like a lot of their cards close to the vest. A lot of the footage that they showed was from the very first episode. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were these posters of this, this clone trooper in brown robes with the, you know, the, the jousting lance. And I'm saying to myself, Whoa, who's this clone? He's cool. (laughs) Are we going to get, cause like, they also showed the promo stuff of Fordo. Fordo was showing up on a lot of the posters too. I was like, Oh, that's cool that we're going to have different clone troopers. It didn't even occur to me that a clone wearing robes would be a Jedi because Jedi don't wear clone armor. And then, right. and then the moment came and we saw Obi-Wan fighting with a lightsaber in clone armor and my jaw hit the floor. I was so hyped about that. And I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's the first time we ever saw in any canon a Jedi wearing clone armor during the Clone Wars, really ever. But like, you know, that era was the Clone Wars when all that stuff was coming out. But, and then I love, I love that that's something that just kind of stuck. 
and they carried on in the you know all the other Clone Wars kind of media that that filtered out since then, uh, especially the show because I love the season one uh, uh, Anakin Obi Wan armor. I love that the Jedi always have clone gauntlets or whatever on. Um, yeah, so that was yeah. a huge moment, Carl. <laughs> so I was so <laughs> hyped about that. I love it because it it really turns the Jedi Knights into knights, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, riding yeah. in oh, on their cool. on their horses with a joust, right? It's yeah. it's such a again like kind of feeding that that mythical element of this show that these are these are the royal knights of the Republic, defenders of you know defenders of the uh, people. Um, so I just I like that that that's kind of a visual nod to to that aspect as well. It's just really neat. Um, uh, it's it, pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, Asajj and Dooku, right? I, we, uh, man, they, right. This is, a, this series is the first time we meet Asajj Ventress as far as I know. Uh, right. She's not, unless she's introduced in a comic. Uh, I don't know. Cause I never really read. They, comics. they, they had in, her in the yeah. comics pretty early on, Oh, okay. but, but you know, they were, this was developed kind of like alongside those. So okay. this was kind of, this is supposed to be like her introduction to the clone wars uh, in, in a sense. So this was like, she already, when she was introduced in the comics, she was already in the service of Dooku. So uh, we didn't get her backstory of how Dooku found her until this. Okay. Anyway. And I love that scene. <laughs> I love that. She's <laughs> kind of given this combat trial. Um, with all these just like wild looking aliens. Um, oh wait, did you did you all hear that there were aliens in Star Wars? Um, something Disney yeah. forgot about. I'm um, sorry. I said, sound right. I wanted to just take a quick dig. Sorry, that was mean. <laughs> um, but yeah, aliens in Star Wars are supposed to be the things that go together. Um, but uh, yeah, her just kind of jumping into this uh, you know Coliseum or Coliseum Arena type thing and just demolishing everybody. Um, really makes her stand out, and and she's this character that's really driven. She she identifies as a Sith. She's but she's carrying Jedi lightsabers initially, um, mm. and she's identifying as a Sith. And she's here because she wants Dooku to take her on as an apprentice. She's there trying to impress him, um, and uh, he kind of puts her in her place. Force lightnings the mm. heck out of her. And when she wakes up, he gives her a present. Yay! Um, here's some new, here's some new lightsabers. <laughs> yeah. After after another duel of like, all right, are you sure you want to try this? You know, uh, which of course he wins very handily as well. So, um, but yeah, no, it, that was always a great scene. the The introduction of Asajj Ventress in this was always a, a highlight of this episode uh, or this this series for me. Um, she was a great uh, a great character, especially in the first season. Uh, the The duel that she and Anakin ended up having, uh, which of course lasted like three chapters um, in the original run, was very well choreographed. I, I have to say, you know the the intricacy of the animation and a lot of that was really cool. And you know the the journey that it all took um, on Yavin Four was was fantastic, but. Uh, the the initial confrontation between her and Dooku was always always a highlight for me. And of course, we kind of revisited that theme when she left his service in the 2008 series, and she comes back to try and assassinate him. 
and he, you know, force lightnings the hell out of her again <laughs> um, uh, and throws her and the night sisters out the window with the force lightning. Um, but uh, yeah, the, there's definitely some themes and, and concepts from this that continue to, you know, Dave Filoni obviously was a big fan of this, the micro series for sure. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and just highlighting for the just for the fun of it again one of the major differences between this series and the clone wars is uh because these are a collection of shorts and short stories um you do, you don't really get character development per se uh i mean i don't want to say you get i don't want to say you don't get any cuz you certainly do um but like think about how three dimensional assage is developed through the clone wars right and that, and now we have all these mm-hmm. other ancillary stories about her um but in this, she really is just this kind of fierce assassin who wants to work for Dooku. I mean, that's really all we get. We don't have any of her motivation. We don't really have a backstory about where she comes from, how she's Force-sensitive, how she finds Dooku, any of those things. They're kind of left out. Um, and in this in this particular story, it doesn't matter. All that matters yeah. is that Dooku has other trained assassins out there. Um, and... Uh, for me, probably one of my favorite things about the series, and again, I haven't watched it in a while until, like I said, I was out there with you, Jason, and you know, hanging out in Phoenix, and we watched it a couple of times, and I've watched it a few times since coming back home. Um, that's This is the most I've ever watched it in my life. Like, I watched it on its DVD, enjoyed it. I thought it was fine. Um, but the thing that has always stood out to me and continues to probably be my favorite thing in the entire series is that duel on Yavin 4 between Anakin and Asajj. It's just visually awesome um and particularly the way that the uh the rain sizzles off of their lightsabers is just Mm. so cool and the the animation style as they stare each other down it it has a very dragon ball z feel to me um you know kind of this build-up of tension um and joe that's more your wheelhouse than than me by a long shot can you speak to, to that particular stuff uh more specifically uh, I mean, I don't know if I would call it Dragon Ball Z. To me, it felt very um, almost like a like a Western showdown. Mm. Mm. Like, here's that pause. We're staring each other down. The, the, the fight's going to continue. And how can we build the tension right now? Cutting back and forth and the rain starts. And it's just that was really more than anything just to build tension. Um, yeah, I love that scene. I think it's one of the best in the in the, the series. I love that. Not only does the location change throughout that duel, uh, mm-hmm. the appearance of both fighters changes. Like Anakin loses his outer tunic, uh, Ventress's like bandages start to come undone. Anakin's hair gets messy. Uh, you know, it's just and, and and the whole time they're just they're not staying in one place. It's starting at you know where the where the ships landed. Then it's going towards the temple. Then it's inside the temple. Then it's up the stairs to the temple. Then it's the roof of the temple. And then and then finally Ventress uh, meets her quote unquote demise. We don't really know for sure in this canon, but um, I love that it just literally escalates <laughs> like lit up the stairs. It escalates yeah. as the fight mm. gets more and more intense. And then finally, when it reaches the peak. Anakin turns to the dark side in order to win it. It's such like a cool pivotal moment. And it's something that I feel is, is worth the three episodes that they spent on it. Right. Cause 
You know, yeah. there aren't that many stories that lasted more than two or three chapters um, because those chapters needed to count. They had so many stories that they wanted to tell. And finally, you know, the most important ones got the most the most time. And, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that that one got probably just as much as the other most important ones did in in the uh, overall story. Yeah, absolutely. And the I love the fact that once they get inside the temple and then start, you know, making their way up on top, the the color of the lightsabers is just reflected in the animation of each of the characters and then once they're up on top, it's the red, you know, looming red of Yavin in the sky is just coloring everything and of course that corresponds with Anakin drawing on the dark side to to defeat her uh in the duel and it it's it's just great the way that they use the colors and the environment to kind of help tell the story of what's happening internally for Anakin throughout all of that so uh, that's something that i th- i think is is important to note uh in all of this so yeah and you know i didn't realize because again i don't think i watched this until uh the clone wars the 2008 series had started I don't think I ever put together that in 2003 when this came out, it insinuates that he could have quite possibly killed Asajj in that fight, right? Because like, I, in my mind, it's like, oh, no, she's still around. She's she survives Clone War, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I mean, if you were probably watching that in, in person, like live at, in time, in real time, that fight is meant I – mean, ultimately, he kills Asajj because she doesn't show up again in the rest of the series. So for all intents and purposes, she is gone. Um, which just like, it just blows my mind. Cause like that did, I, it didn't put that together any of the times I've watched it. Yeah. She continued to come back, you know, again and again in the comics. So, you know, they, they left it open-ended enough, uh, for all of that, I think. But yeah, the, the implication is, is that he at least believes he killed her, um, at this point. So, yeah. Um, and he's not sad about it either. No, he yeah. he sure isn't. <laughs> he's almost angry he didn't get like an actual killing blow, you know. Yeah. Um well, one of the last things I want to highlight uh f- for me about this series that I like is the knighting scene where where Anakin gets knighted mm-hmm. as a as a Jedi knight. Um and I kind of like that we don't we they didn't redo something like this in the other Clone Wars series, right? Like that series begins, he's already a knight, right? We don't we don't ever see that. Um, even in that that new novel, which is again, I, I can't rave Brotherhood enough by Mike Chen. Um, but even that story picks up, and right at the beginning of the story, even though it's not long after Attack of the Clones, like we're told that Anakin has been knighted, but we don't we don't actually see it. Um, but what's interesting is is it's a rare scene of dialogue prior to it where we hear Obi-Wan kind of speaking up on Anakin's behalf, saying, like, my Padawan's ready. Uh, I think in this time of crisis, we should forego the trials, which is a very interesting thing for Obi-Wan to say, right? Um, Obi-Wan is kind of a by-the-book Jedi for almost the entire prequel era in other storytelling incarnations. But here you have him kind of bucking the rules a bit, which it was, which is different for Obi-Wan. Um, and there's a bit of a pushback to it initially by some of the council members. Like, I don't know about that. He's, he's a little, you know, Anakin's, he's a little uh, hot headed. I'm not sure if he's ready. 
And, uh, of course, Mace has to be a butthead and be like, well, it's not even yet decided if he's the chosen one. Shut up. Go punch a droid. Um, you know. Um, <laughs> Wait, what was the phrasing that he has to do to a droid? A machine gun fist machine gun, Yeah, go machine gun go fist machine a droid. Gun fist a droid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's – a really beautiful scene though, right? Uh, even though we we forego the trials, so we don't know exactly what the trials might look like in this era of the Jedi, we do, f- like, this is the only thing I can think of where we actually see a Jedi being knighted. I love that he comes into a completely black room. You know, he goes into the High Council chamber, it's completely dark, and then, boom, they all ignite their lightsabers. Yoda knights him. Um, we do see this in Rebels. We see... In that vision that Kanan has, uh, we see the Grand Inquisitor from before he was an Inquisitor knight him as a Jedi. Um, but this is the first time we ever really get to see it. And Yoda severs that that Padawan braid so perfectly, doesn't cut Anakin at all. Um, and it's just a really beautiful scene that even though they may forego the, the trials themselves, the ritual still remains. Um, and I don't know if every Jedi has this when they're knighted. I don't know if every single one of them gets to go into the high council chamber. I kind of hope so. Like, I think that'd be really cool, um, that Yoda's the one who kind of officially gets to do that. And then the follow-up of that is we see Anakin give that Padawan braid to Padme, which Matthew Stover gives us that little snippet in his novel for Revenge of the Sith. Brotherhood, once again, the Mike Chen novel gives us a, a, a kind of different telling of Anakin giving the braid to, to Padme. Um, but all of that is anchored here in this, this little snippet from Clone Wars. Um, what did you two think of the uh, nighting scene? I I loved it. I think it was great. Uh, the, the visuals were fantastic. And I like you, I love the, the symbology uh, of, of all the Jedi council members there with their lightsabers ignited. Uh, and the only one that is, you know, visible because they all have their hoods up is Yoda. Uh, you know, it's, he's the one who, you know, gives the benediction, knights Anakin, and then flicks the braid off with, with his lightsaber. You know, it's, it's such a cool moment. Uh, and, uh, you know, you almost can't help, but feel a little badass with Anakin there, uh, when it happens. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. What about you, Joe? Uh, I, really like that scene but i think that scene is more of a compliment to the scene before it where we have anakin and obi-wan you know anakin was running late because he was off with padme and he kind of snaps at obi-wan a mm. little bit about you know you're all qui-gon jinn mm. and they yeah. and obi-wan has this moment where he just like kind of helps recenter anakin and, and assures him that you know everything is okay he's doing great qui-gon would be super proud of him and you know, we're we're master and apprentice, but now we're brothers. We're not. I'm not your teacher anymore. And Anakin's like, wait, what? And I think yeah. that scene, kind of leading right into his knighting ceremony, makes it even better because I love that there's also a cut in that scene to Obi Wan's reaction, and he's just smiling because he's super proud of Anakin. And like for Obi Wan, it's just like you know, for well, for us for obi-wan it's this kind of bittersweet moment where it's like oh man he's super proud of anakin oh but we know how this turns out um so it's it's kind of ooh, it doesn't feel good but at the same time it does feel good because it's we love seeing them together as a team and as brothers but it's just like there's always that part in the back of your head where it's like uh it's not gonna go well we know we know where it's headed but 
I really, I love that sequence of those two scenes together for sure. Mm. Absolutely. I think, I think you're right. The, the importance and the, the sort of like uh, relief and triumph of the nighting scene is only heightened by the fact that, that they have this moment of tension right before. Mm. Um, And, and, and Anakin, even like before he gets to the temple, he's complaining to Padme about having to go back and all of this stuff with the Jedi and he's, you know, he, he's frustrated with Obi-Wan and the Jedi for the restrictions on everything. And then he's summoned back and, Oh God, I can't believe I have to do this. And then he gets back and he snaps at Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan's like, well, it's all right. We're about to become brothers. And then it's like, Oh, okay. Uh, and we kind of get that moment of relief where Anakin's like, Oh, all right. Maybe it's not all bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a great it's a great scene, um, and I think one of the the little tidbits that is missed a lot in the conversation with the Jedi Council um, is the fact that Palpatine has been pushing for Anakin's knighting for months, mm. according to even Peel. And one of the things I wanted to bring up is there is some subtle lines of Palpatine continuing to manipulate things throughout this whole series. Um, obviously, he's the one at the very, very beginning who uh, insists that Anakin get command of the Starfighters uh, in their first mission at the beginning of the series. Um, he's the one who gets Anakin to be knighted. He obviously has all the intelligence on Grievous with, you know, uh, that sends Anakin and Obi-Wan to the Outer Rim uh, away from Coruscant. Uh, and then, of course, I love how he's very subtly, you know, trying to to step up and be indignant to Grievous in order to put himself within reach of Grievous for his own kidnapping uh, there when when Shakti and the others are trying to rescue him. Um, you know, he he's he's definitely got some devious strings he's pulling. And it's nice that in even in something so condensed. Uh, as as this series, uh, we still get nods that he's at work and he's uh, doing things and has uh, an undue interest in Anakin's uh, development as a Jedi. Um, and obviously, Asajj is sent after Anakin specifically by Sidious, uh, you know, in, in a sense. So as as a test, one would assume. Uh, to see if his uh, his de- you know dedication and devotion to Anakin's development uh, is is going to be worth it. So um, yeah, it's it's one of those subtle things that we kind of get peppered in here and there throughout the whole series that I really appreciated. So yeah. Um. Well, anything else for you two that that stands out and i know joe like this could be a very exhaustive list but (laughs) (laughs) how much time do we have fellas (laughs) um well i think throughout the the majority of our conversation uh we've hit most of the things i I wanted to talk about um i just want to highlight once more uh shock t during the whole battle of coruscant stuff Mm. is probably my favorite character in the battle of coruscant um to just watch and to, to see her journey and the fact that she has to confront Grievous again after almost dying the first time she encountered him. 
you know, the, the duel between her and all the magna droids in the tunnel is great. Uh, I love the fact when she very subtly ties Grievous's cape to the departing train. Um, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, she's, I think she's a, definitely a highlight for me uh, in the battle for Coruscant stuff. So, but that's the only other real big thing I wanted to make sure I highlighted. So what do you yeah. got, Joe? Oh man. Uh, I guess I alluded to this a little bit already, but I, what I love, I think the most about this series, other than its art style and how much the art style in itself has inspired me. It's that this kind of felt like one of the first times where not only is the main story advancing, so we're seeing everything that's going on with our heroes, right? So Obi-Wan, Anakin, uh, Padme, Yoda, like all these characters that we already know really, really well from the previous two prequels, but in, you know, in the, the original trilogy too. Uh, but I was always fascinated by the other Jedi, especially the Jedi that were introduced in Attack of the Clones. Like the Phantom Menace mm-hmm. Jedi were all really cool. But the Attack of the Clones, yeah, so your Kit Fisto, your Shakti, yeah. Luminara, Barris, Ayla finally being in there from the comics. These were the characters that I always wanted to see more of. And the fact that, you know, not only were we seeing them, like I said, they, they were speaking now. They have personalities. And some of them even got their own vignettes, like Barris and Luminara got their own chapter. Kit Fisto got his own chapter. Mace Windu had two chapters. Like, it was such a cool, like, oh, man, I'm getting the characters that I want to see more of in addition to the ones that I already know and am invested in already. So it just yeah. felt like everybody gets a turn in the sun, and I loved that about the show. Because, like, really the only other way to get that was, you know, you'd, you would have to hope that, oh, maybe Star Wars Republic will focus on Kit Fisto in this one comic. But usually it was Obi-Wan and Anakin's adventures. Uh, every once in a while, you get those other characters in there, but you know it was very rare that you were actually getting focus on any of those back characters. So I love how much of that uh, thought went into this because you know I I feel like essentially it was probably like all right, well we have this one story that we want to tell. What can we do in between? Um, and I think that's kind of how the other Jedi because that we really saw more of that in the second season. And then, you know, a decent amount in the third also. But, like, that first season was, for the most part, with the exception of that Kit Fisto one, that first season, those first ten chapters, were just kind of Anakin and Obi-Wan's adventures. Um, but, yeah, I, I love how much it expanded. It continued the main story and then expanded on more stuff that we wanted to see. Plus, we got to see planets that we've never seen before, which I know for Star Wars isn't exactly, um, you know... Out of the ordinary, but at the time, you know, we were getting a new movie once every three years, right? And then, oh, here's mm. some comic stuff. But to see Sereno, to see Ilum, to see Dantooine, like that stuff was like, whoa, the stuff that yeah. like we know about, like here it is. That's so cool to actually like see it on the the silver screen, so to speak. Because it's silver screen is is a TV screen a silver screen? I think that's the the movie screen. That's movie yeah. screen. Okay. The but. The, the, the small baby screen. screen. Yes, I don't know. The baby, the small screen. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I just loved that uh, about I, the series. I'm right with you there, Joe. Like, the, I, I love the Jedi from the Phantom Menace, but Attack of the Clones was just like an explosion of Jedi goodness for me. Yeah. 
And so, you know, that's where so many of my favorite characters have come from is just thanks to Attack of the Clones. Um, so I, getting to see all of that expanded on through throughout this series was, was just so exciting. So I'm right with you there. <laughs> and I, I actually have a question for you guys. Now, it's, it's not really related here or there, but we did touch on uh, the Ventress fighting pit. Mm. Um, mm. Scene yes. earlier. I am curious. What do you guys think would have happened if Ventress didn't show up, and the person who won was the Wampa? <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that would have just been perfect. And uh, would they just be know, Dooku's apprentice now? Yeah. Dooku has a Wampa apprentice. <laughs> I don't know if he'd be a Dooku's I, apprentice, but he'd be another like dirge level character. Yeah, um, right. And that's in. Um, and I'm sure there's a bit of silliness in this question you're even asking, Joe. But um, I, I mean, I've always interpreted the scene as he's just trained. He's looking for a new assassin. And that's what Asaj yeah. essentially is initially. So the fact that she shows up with lightsabers and has the force, like it's she shows up with the intent of like, I want to be your assassin and your apprentice. Um, but yeah, it is funny to see a Wampa there because it's just like, does this thing even like? Because in Empire Strikes Back, they don't seem to be particularly. I don't want to say they're not intelligent. They certainly have an intelligence, but they don't seem to have an allegiance type of intelligence, right? Like they're not going to join forces with somebody. <laughs> so he's just there to pose a threat to yeah. the other combatants. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, somebody somebody entered him in. You know, so, he, somebody owns him. Like he's a pet, a pet you know, uh, gladiator champion. So, um, yeah, but I would have loved it if the Wampa was the one that had one. And then, oh, now we have a Wampa trying to fight Jedi or something. And that would have just been funny. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for sure. Um, Well, just for the sake of time, and I know that there's, there are so many things um, that I'm sure Joe especially is not uh, getting to talk about. But but before we start to wrap up, Joe, is I mean, I don't if there's something still big looming for you that we have not touched on, I want you to be able to t- touch on it. All right. I'll I'll do one moment and it, it's I'll keep it brief. It's real short. Uh, Roran Cobb, I believe is his name. The hammerhead. Jedi Korob. Yes. That, that's the one. He's got four throats and he <sighs> makes a hallway explode just by yelling. And it's awesome. <laughs> that it's is freaking yeah. amazing. It's so uh, good. I, I I love that so much. I bought the action figure for 30 bucks uh at a convention. Um yeah, that that action figure is stupid expensive at this point. Oh, um man. but yeah, I, I have his action figure and it's freaking awesome. And yes, uh, I love that. I, I love him screaming down the hallway uh and just shattering everything it's amazing um and the awkward and, elevator uh, scene after where he's just breathing heavily <laughs> and palpatine's like putting a finger in his ear <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, shaq like a thorian four throats very loud so i've heard and, you know, just, <laughs> and, <laughs> oh. oh man but yeah Roran Korob's well. Here's the fun story about Roran Korob, um, the the Tal's Jedi there, and then Vulvif Mon, the the um, oh gosh, I forget his species, but the werewolf Jedi that's mm-hmm. at the uh, you know mm-hmm. the rescue uh, episode for 
the first Grievous introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, at the during the the first season, they put out a poll of these three characters. Who do you want to see show up uh, at the end of chapter twenty? With the the which is where they introduced Grievous, um, and Volvifmon, the werewolf kind of Jedi looking Jedi, won, and so he oh. showed up first. Yeah, he showed up first uh, in in that, and that's why he was featured um, in episode in chapter twenty. Uh, and then they had that they had the character models and the designs for these other two Jedi, and they ended up using them a whole lot more later on uh, in in you know the third season uh which i thought was pretty funny but uh Pulvithmon was also featured in the the sort of time lapse um you know stuff that they did with anakin as a knight you know helping to to win battles and save the day numerous times so he was featured in one of those too so uh but yeah there's a fun story about those three i didn't know that that's super cool uh i think i voted for him i don't remember i don't remember who i voted for but i do remember voting so was that a hyperspace thing because i remember a lot of exclusive stuff on hyperspace and i did not have hyperspace. oh it might have been it might have been hyperspace because i did have it at that time okay. period so that cool. might have been it so now hyperspace <laughs> i haven't that thought about a, yeah. hyperspace in I, uh, forever well and and Holy anybody crap. listening who doesn't know what the heck that is uh this was an exclusive subscription service through starwars.com basically from like 2000 through probably a little after revenge of the sith came out is my guess i never had it i never paid yeah. for it but it gave like these the, exclusive you know exclusive content exclusive clips things like that the biggest thing that they did with it is during the shooting of revenge of the sith they'd stick like a uh, one of the the early like 3D cameras or not 3D uh, th- 360 cameras or something like that except it was like a 180 camera they'd stick one of those on set somewhere sometimes it was in like the makeup room sometimes it was on like a set they were building and you could jump in uh and they'd have like periods where they they film for a while obviously they didn't have anything you know super dramatic or uh, um revealing to the story in it but you'd be able to jump on every so often to see, you know, here's a couple hours that they, they gave us and you'd be able to just scroll through the images uh, of that. So that was one of the cool things that they gave you in hyperspace. So that's awesome. Yeah. 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 I, again, that, I didn't have it, but I know it was, it was cool. I, I think the, the most exciting thing I ever saw on there was like, they were getting Kit Fisto made up in the, the makeup chair one time. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, well, all right, boys. I think, uh, I again, I know there's so many other things we could talk about, um, but we're going to end the conversation there. And uh, to any of you who've listened through this and have never seen the Tartakovsky Clone Wars series, um, I think, first off, thank you for still listening to this episode. And secondly, <laughs> go watch it. It's It's on Disney Plus. It's under the vintage section. Um, I mean, both seasons combined are a little over two hours. It's, it's, it's one long animated movie. It's super fun. It's, um, yeah, can't, can't recommend it enough. And for those of you who, who are listening because you're like, oh, I loved that series, but it's been a minute since I've watched it. Go rewatch it. You, you won't be disappointed. It's, it still holds up. It's super fun. 
Um, I've really enjoyed throwing myself in into this particular story the last couple of weeks here. It's it's been a lot of fun. Um, but like I said at the start of the episode, before we go, uh, Joe, you were kind enough to donate one of your artist prints from the most recent Star Wars celebration to use as a giveaway on the show. And uh, I'm going to let you introduce the piece. What's it called? What was the inspiration behind it? It is called A Grand Army, and it was basically my uh, feeling nostalgic that when I first started doing Star Wars work officially, I was doing Star Wars sketch cards. And back then, it was all character portraits, and every chance I got, I was doing a clone trooper portrait. So I said, I'm going to do 66 clone trooper portraits. Who am I going to start with? I'm going to start with Fordo. And it all (laughs) spiraled out of control from there. Um, So yeah, it's just 66 portraits of 66 clone troopers uh n- mostly new canon mostly from the 2008 um uh regular regular i don't know what, what do we even call it felony series um, yeah the full series yeah, exactly and the there's a few old eu ones in there photos in there alpha is in there the first star trooper it's uh um, oh yeah mm-hmm. there's a lot of new bad batch ones hauser's in there so I tried to get any of the ones that I might have missed from my 2017 big clone trooper print and uh, all the new ones since then. And anyone I was 99 is in there because a lot of people yelled at me that I did not include 99 <laughs> in the first one. So he is well represented in uh, in in this one. And uh, yeah, so it is uh, the, the print itself was limited to 250. But this is an artist proof, which is something that uh, can only be gifted from the artist. We actually cannot sell artist proofs. So these are actually much, 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 much rarer than the numbered ones. And I will say the numbered ones sold out. So they're they're gone forever. Here is basically the last opportunity to get one ever, and it's free for one lucky person. So yeah. please, can, <laughs> this will be worth something someday, I promise. <laughs> Come claim this free print. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, in order to uh, to get entered into the drawing for this print, Carl, what are we going to have people do? Uh, there are three options, um, and uh, two of them are pretty common. We're going to make a post about this a little bit later in the week uh, on our both our Instagram and our Twitter. Um, and all you have to do is comment your favorite scene or moment from the 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 tartakovsky clone war series if you've not seen it just comment your favorite moment in the clone wars in general um and for those of you who don't use social media kudos to you because it can be a headache um you can also just email us (laughs) your favorite moment from the clone wars to enter um and uh funny enough for those of you who uh send an email you're going to enter twice um, just because, uh, you know, that one that also shows that you listen to the show, which we appreciate <laughs> when we put it on yes. social media. Most of those folks may not even listen to this. I shouldn't say most, but I know several don't listen to the show, which is fine. But uh, we want to yeah. we want to promote the show. We want we want to reward you for making the time to, to listen to our show. So, you know what? Scratch that. If you want to enter, there's only one way to enter. Send us an email. We're going we're going to go back to 2002, Joe, and uh, oh, man. the only mode it. of communication 
prior to even Facebook, send us an email. But you have to send it from your hyperspace account. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I'm already out. Yep. You're already out. I can't Jason's play. The only one who can win yeah, Jason's football. the only one who can play right, right now. Excellent. All right. All right. I'll, I'm going to make sure to enter this time. So. Um. Uh, and, but I did not mean that to be rude to, to those. I mean, obviously, we love using uh, interactions on social media. But uh, – uh, we want to we want to honor those of you who who make the time to listen to our show. Um, and Joe, you know, we really appreciate you donating this print and your art style, specifically for clones, is just so perfect. I mean, this is going to look gorgeous on anybody's wall. Um, so, uh, yeah, we. Uh, I almost feel like we should post a picture of it so folks know what we're talking about. But you know what? Be surprised. Like, let this be like, or this is 2003. You just get a hint. Joe described what's in there, but you have to win it to see it. <laughs> yeah. Did Google, did, did Google exist back yeah. then? Pretend it didn't. Yeah. So don't, don't yeah. Google. Yeah. Because you can Google it, to be fair. Joe, yeah. Joe's print you can is out Google there. It, but yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be fun to be surprised if you, if you really want to be. Um, but yeah, it's a great print. Uh, Joe always does some, some really fun work uh, and, and I've always enjoyed seeing what he comes up with. Um, but yeah, and of course, you know, in case you're new and don't realize Joe Hogan is the one who does all of the artwork for our show. So anything that we've used as logos or art prints uh, on our social media and stuff, uh, you can blame Joe Hogan for. Um <laughs> He he is the one responsible. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for the kind words. I appreciate it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, and bef- um, before we wrap, Joe, um, where can folks uh, follow the stuff that you're doing? Um, your new prints, any of your new projects, things like that. How can folks find you? Yeah, sure. Um, so my social media is Joe Hogan Art, really on everything. Twitter, if Twitter is going to exist for too much longer we don't know uh instagram though <laughs> deviantart all that good stuff anytime i have a new print uh i'm usually posting on there i have a facebook fan page all that stuff uh if you're interested in my officially licensed star wars art which i hope you are in the event that you are not able to snag that clone print i do have a new clone print up available <laughs> on darkinkart.com and acme archives limited they're both the same kind of sister site uh the newest print is called for the republic and uh wait did i give the right name before so the name of the celebration print is a grand army yep and the yep, newest yeah, yeah. clone print is uh for the republic uh so the newest one that just came out like a little over a month ago uh that is available like i said on darkinkart.com and acme archives limited um that is a love letter to the feloni clone wars series only because that's all I could get through for that one. But I was very happy with the selection that we made, including Delta Squad from Republic Commandos on that print. Um, and then I have a lot of fun other ones on, on their website. You just click on my name on there, and you can see all my other prints that I've done for Acme. So there's some Mandalorian stuff. There's even some Spider-Man stuff on there if, you, uh, if you're a Marvel fan. For so you webheads. The... <laughs> Say again, Carl? I said for all you webheads. For all you have, <laughs> what are you doing up there? Staying away, Staying from, away you. from you. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's uh, basically the gist. And uh, once again, I just want to thank you guys for having me, Jason, for always trusting me to be on when you are unavailable, and for having me on. Uh, this is my favorite podcast to do ever in my now almost the same length you guys have been podcasting. I've been appearing on other people's podcasts, and I can say. 
uh, with no exaggeration that this is always my favorite one to be on. So thank you guys for having me once again. Oh, you're, you're, you're welcome. You're and you'll kind. be getting your check in the mail for that. Thank yeah, you very much. Like, <laughs> I'm, <looking forward> to <laughs> it. I'm sure it pays more than the, uh, than the store was prints do. So, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And, uh, we'll give you, we'll give you the spoiler right here. Y'all, um, uh, as we start our March to episode 500, which will which will premiere right at the start of the new year, uh, we will be having a new Joe Hogan Wampusler print to premiere at the start of the new year to celebrate that 500th episode. So uh, we are extremely excited and looking forward to that, and and uh, we can't wait to share it with you. Well, now I have to do it. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we were talking about it before we started recording, and we're all very excited for for what might transpire so there's some cool <laughs> options we talked about see so jason put I'm in curious a mic. to see how it's all going to turn out <laughs> yeah <sighs> but anyway uh with that carl uh if people want to weigh in on their thoughts on what we discussed here in this episode uh where can people get in contact with us uh, well, we are on Twitter at Wampas Lair. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Wampas Lair. And you can always email us and indeed should email us at Podcast at gmail.com, sending us your favorite moment from the Clone Wars to enter for a chance to win a Joe Hogan AP print of uh, a Grand Army. There we go. Got it right. Yes. There you go. Awesome. Uh, anything else, gentlemen, before we close down this episode? I love you guys. Yeah, back at you, buddy. <laughs> and that's going to wrap up this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. This has been episode number 492, Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. For Carl and Joe, I'm Jason. And we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. Wampus Lair.